0: This will surprise no one who listens to this show. But America is single. It's divorced, undercommitted, and hopelessly out of touch with how to build a relationship that lasts. Women, in particular, are groomed for a life centered on career and on being fiercely independent, as though marriage and family were a nice idea or a possible accompaniment to an otherwise satisfying life. But if flying solo is so great, Why are online dating sites a billion-dollar industry, replete with clients looking to get hitched? In my new book, How to Get Hitched and Stay Hitched, which is available now for pre-order, women get a much-needed detox from the cultural narratives they've absorbed about men, sex, love, marriage, work, and family. Modern women don't need any more help in the professional sphere. They have that in spades. What they don't have is guidance in love and life. How to Get Hitched is not about finding a husband per se, but about how to map out a life that works in every sphere, including marriage and children. It offers women a new roadmap with specific countercultural guidelines that will help them be successful in this domain. How to Get Hitched is the antidote women need to reject the lies they've been fed by our culture. It's about what you really want versus what you've been told you should want and about what is true of men in marriage versus what you've been told is true. Get ready. This book will rock your world. Just go to howtogethitched.net and you'll find all the information you need there. Again, that's howtogethitched.net. And now, on with the show. From the magnificent Midwest, it's the Suzanne Venker Show, where men and women are equal in value, but wildly different by nature. Join us here every week when we challenge the culture's hugely flawed narratives about men, women, sex, and love. From coast to coast and from around the world, thank you for joining us. Julie Mastrini is a marketing and PR professional who's passionate about being a responsible member of the media and who elevates critical thinking and civil discourse. She's the director of marketing at All Sides, a site that provides balanced news and media bias ratings. It displays the news from the left, center and right side by side to make bias transparent and to help readers get the full picture. Julie is also a frequent writer and editor who writes for Evie magazine on topics such as politics, culture and relationships. Her work has appeared in USA Today, The Federalist and other publications. I invited Julie on the show today to discuss a very astute article she wrote for Evie magazine entitled, Sexual Liberation May Be Making Men Less Masculine. Those of you who have listened to episode 73, How the Pill Sabotaged Women's Sexual Power, my conversation with Julie will sound very familiar.
1: Welcome to the show, Julie. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here.
0: I'm excited to have you on. This is this is really, really great. So... um. You wrote this excellent article in Evie magazine. And then I went down a little bit of a rabbit hole with your writings and realized, wow, we really speak the same language.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
0: it's pretty incredible. It's, it's, it's like reading my own stuff. <laughs> I mean, not, not like you're literally writing what I'm saying, but the top, <laughs> the topics are so similar. And of course what I love about it is that you're 29, right? Yep. You yep. are full on millennial, but on that, but on that, um
1: later end right yeah i'm turning 30 in august so
0: okay so you're almost 30 do you feel like do you personally since you're in that generation feel a difference between older millennials and younger millennials
1: yeah definitely the the older millennials they almost feel a little more like gen x to me but i I don't really know what the the cutoff is is it like 36 and up is right now supposedly 25 to 40. Is our, oh, our Millennials. Yeah. 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 I'd say there's a, a bit of a difference. Um, the closer folks are to, thir- to 40 right now, I could sense the difference for sure. Yeah.
0: And tell us just a quick, just tell us a little bit about you before we get started. I, I talked about you in the opening, you know, the, the basics, but um, you're Italian. Yeah. <laughs> yes. You live
1: in Pennsylvania. Yep. Western Pennsylvania. Western Pennsylvania. And so is it very rural where you are? It is, yeah. I live in a small town about an hour and a half uh, east of Pittsburgh. Yeah, rural. Denver,
0: Okay.
1: But I spend a lot of time in major cities, San Francisco, Yeah,
0: yep. York, We're talk about, about that. Yeah, yep. it's going to be really interesting to tell people about that, for <laughs> sure, with respect to these um, articles in particular. Okay, so let's get right at it. So you wrote an article called Sexual Liberation May Be Making Men Less Masculine, which I thought was... Very astute because you know, we talk a lot about um, why men are less masculine today, and there are you know, there is more than one culprit for sure. Um, The lack of fathers being, I think, the biggest, yeah, but certainly there's more to the equation. And this one really honed in on a very specific phenomenon which you're calling sexual liberation, which is good because it's it encompassed to me, it's all encompassing, you know, liberating the word sexual liberation, the phrase was used, you know, big time in the 70s, right? That was what it was supposed to be. Um, or just women's liberation was more of the catchphrase. But um, folded into that is this idea of, of being free um, sexually in a way that women weren't in the past. And, of course, that is very, very much with us 50 years later, right? So you can still refer to it as sexual liberation, even though we never use the word because it's almost like calling, it's just like there's no point in even needing a word because it's so common. Right. It's the default culture now. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So, so, okay. So what is you open up talking about what the big lie of sexual liberation is and what is that?
1: Well, the lie is that, you know, women under a culture of sexual liberation would be free and empowered. um, That we would be, have more power. And um, that's not true. We're actually, I would argue more enslaved now. Enslaved to meaningless hookups, meaningless relationships, um, to a culture where um, we're not getting what we want out of our relationships, and they're certainly not leading to marriage and children. So, mm-hmm. not at all. Otherwise, um, it's empowering. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um,
0: which is, you know, obviously the big, and it took a while for this to really play out. Um, and I think your generation got the, got the brunt of it, right? Because you could see some Absolutely. of the genetics. I'm 53. You could see some of that beginning. I mean, even when I was in college, I was known as like that, you know, that, that conservative girl from the Midwest. I went to school up east and all my friends were from the tri-state area, right? Up where you are. Um, well, farther up, but anyway, uh, general idea. And 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 then there's that girl from the Midwest whose who's thinking is just so so different from the others. Um, and it, it was just so much of this has to do with geography, too. Um, at least it yes. did. Where you, the farther east, the farther west west you go um so in other words it is it it was liberal not liberal by today's standards not left wing per se but it was starting to it would it let's put it this way it was the idea of a hookup was not a thing which is not to say that people didn't engage in one night stands some people did but they were the outliers and you would comment on it and know it. And it was a thing that you, you know, it was not a positive thing. And it was not the norm yet. So so being in a relationship in college was very much a thing in my day. And I, I mine's maybe an extreme example because I, I met my first husband there and we were together all throughout college. But being with a, um, being in what you guys call in a relationship, that's an actual thing now, right? That's a, you yeah. call a relationship.
1: Yeah, yeah, there's hooking up, and then there's relationship, <laughs> and they're different. <laughs> right, so, so in my day, and, and I
0: laugh with this with my daughter, who's 21, and she's, and you know, mom, the relationship has to be defined, it has to be defined, otherwise you just don't know, and I'd laugh, and I'd be like, what do you mean? In our days, you just started going out, and enough time passed where it was kind of obvious you weren't going to go out with anybody else, you were quote-unquote falling in love, and it was just, nothing needed to be defined, it was just so obvious. And I think oh, wow. one of the biggest differences between our generation and yours is that things were clear without needing to be named. And in your day, it's, a, it's not at all that right, right?
1: Well, yeah, and you'll, you'll hear millennials are so about, like, communication, explicit communication, need to talk about everything. That's what they tell everybody um, amongst millennials, uh, millennials telling other millennials about the importance of communication. And it's only because these boundaries have been eroded, like these these things that you, maybe your generation took for granted about what it meant to be with someone or to yes. be in a relationship are gone. It's totally gone. It's I always say it's a bombed out culture. There are no structures left at all. So yeah, it's a a
0: mess mess. and it's heartbreaking. I mean, it's killing me. I mean, this is literally why I'm yeah. Okay. So the big lie of sexual liberation is that somehow it was, you wrote here archaic, unnecessary and outdated to place restraints on our sexual behavior and to expect men to take us out to dinner be committal or to demonstrate a willingness to protect and provide for us before we slept with them. Um, but when women place constraints around sex, it actually forces men to become more masculine. Higher expectations turns men into people women can actually respect. Sexual liberation has eradicated all the incentives for men to become more masculine. Yep. So talk a little bit more about that because that's, that's what I mean by, um, I think this is something that really does not get discussed about um, men's loss of masculinity because we spend so much time talking about fatherless homes, but there's more to this.
1: Totally. Yeah. And, and the fatherlessness was my starting point for realizing why I was noticing men being so weak. And then I actually started to realize that like sexual liberation plays a huge part in this because you see these men who are just like addicted to porn or smoking weed all the time. And all they want is casual sex. They have no like aspirations to family or commitment or marriage. And you're like, what's going on? And um, it's, it's intricately tied to um, sexual liberation, which is in- intricately tied to the birth control pill. So sex used to be this, like, high-risk endeavor, um, and it no longer is. And when it was a high-risk endeavor, women had to be extremely choosy about who they would sleep with, and they had to demand something of the man before they would, you know, give themselves to him in that way. Um, They would expect him, I mean, going to the early stages, they would expect some courtship, they would expect him to be demonstrating that he um, was willing to be a protector and provider, that he was committal, that he had a good job, that he was healthy, that he um, had career aspirations or other aspirations, um, that he was moral, that he enforced good boundaries. Just overall, that he was a, a good man who had a sense of duty towards women. Um, women would look for that and be choosy because if they did get pregnant, they were in for a long-term endeavor, where they would really need support. Um, and this was also during a time when you know women weren't expected to be in the career force uh, or in the workforce because they would be bringing chil- children. So whenever sex was a high-risk endeavor, women were choosier about men. Um, and they had to make sure that they were only going to be with men who were high quality. Mm-hmm. So this was a, a sort of um, cultural pressure, sort of like a forcing mechanism and incentive for men to become better and to prove themselves. Cause they were competing for women and the women were really choosy. So um, the men would have to actually be, the boys would have to become men basically. Um, there is a difference. And um, I think Jordan Peterson says like, or was it Camille Paglia? Women just are, men must become. Yeah. So there was actually cultural pressure on men to become. And um, so women were choosy, sex was risky, women would expect commitment first, they would expect the man to, you know, court her. Mm-hmm. And nowadays, um, because of sexual liberation, which is, it is not possible without the birth control pill really, right. um, Those cultural pressures are gone. Women are no longer holding men to any sort of standard before they'll sleep with them. Everything's kind of backwards. Women now think, oh, I'll sleep with him and then he'll see how great I am and then he'll commit. And he'll see how fun I am or whatever it may be. When it's actually backwards, men are hardwired not to want to commit to a woman who sleeps with them early and I could talk about why that is. Um, But basically, yeah, the choosiness of women is what would actually propel men to masculinity and to greater achievement. And it's just, it's gone.
0: It's gone. So so one of the things um, when I talk with the younger generation about this kind of stuff, you or about this in particular, fatherlessness is much, much, much bigger, right? Like so big we can barely, as an individual, feel like we can do anything about that. Um, and the fact that women are out earning men and in, in, in college um, and are um, dominate on college campuses more than men. Those are bigger things that are going to be really hard for us to do anything about. So the one thing I'm always saying is there there, there are controls that you do have. One of them is staying married, and that's another conversation, getting married and staying married. But specifically with sex, you, you absolutely have options here. Close your legs. It yeah. does not get any more complicated than that. And I want people to think about what Okay, we can't. So, so, there's, so let's say there's a lot of men who are, are lacking a father figure, right? So they're lacking um, the understanding on how to become a man from a boy. But let's take those same men that you were describing who are smoking weed and they're playing video games or what have you. Imagine they had the same family scenario of a bad father figure or a bad relationship with a dad or whatever, but the women functioned the way they used to and said no and you did not open your legs at hello, right? Or after the first date and you, and you, and you held that and that was, you know, because women are the gatekeepers of sex, men are the gatekeepers of relationships. So what do you think would happen to those men who are not quote unquote growing up and are not being the masculine men that women are arguing that they're not with no understanding that they play a role in that? Let's say we collect all women collectively decided tomorrow we're not gonna do this anymore. What do you imagine might happen to those men?
1: Well, that's exactly what I argue at, um, in numerous articles I've written, I think at the end of this one as well, is that women need to collectively stop providing men with low cost sex. That was another article that I wrote, yeah. was the yeah. real cost of low or the real price of low cost sex. Um, so low cost sex being sex that men can acquire without really doing anything. And I think that if women collectively started to be choosier and refused to have sex, with men early on, men would respond to that and they would respond positively because men want women and they want to give women what they want. So if all the women were saying, no, I'm not interested unless you have a good job and, you know, you're sober and you're committal and, um, you know, you go to the gym and lift weights and, like, you're, you know... You You love God.
0: You love God. Religion's another big thing. Oh, Oh,
1: huge. I could could talk about that at length, too. Yeah, you love God. You follow a higher moral code. You're not beholden to just whatever the state tells you to do. You, you um, you know, have a, a, a universal morality, things like that. Um, I think men would improve. I, I think that fatherlessness is a huge problem and men need other men, but men do respond to the incentives that like women are giving them, right? And they wanna please women. So if women said, here's what I expect of you and here's what I require for you to get with me, men would respond, absolutely.
0: And it would be good. And you know, this is not rocket science. You can find it. I mean, I mean, I'm, I talk to my daughter all the time about what's going on on college campuses and she sees it clear as a, day, clear as a bell. Um you can't not see it, you can't not, not see it. <laughs> um, men do respond very quickly to whatever women command. You go high, they'll go high. you go low, and they're happy to go down there too.
1: yeah, my my friend always says that um, like you know, women are sort of the like civilizing force on men. Um, it It is through the female like gatekeeping. That men are civilized <laughs> into like people who are respectable, right? And they're used to that, they've been born and raised by women. Yeah, they come from women. I mean, it's
0: mostly women who are both in schools and in their homes, for whom they're used to be uh, 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 responding to. So that's just that's part of why that's so natural too. It doesn't just go away after eighteen years of being under a, your mom's thumb, right? Uh, so to speak. Um, okay. Let's talk a little bit about what you've experienced with respect to this in your own life. So you you're from Pennsylvania, you said, and you but you spent about six years, I think you said, in San Francisco. Oh my lord. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I guess they are for work reasons, right? Yeah. Yep. And then what did you learn? What were your experiences?
1: Oh my gosh. Well, Yeah, those are years I can't get back, but I learned a lot. (laughs) So, yeah, I was in San Francisco for six years, um, moved there for work from Pennsylvania. Um, At the time, I was a feminist, and um, I, you know, had a lot of the opposite ideas that I have now, which I've unlearned, sort of unlearned my feminist ideas through experience. And a lot of it was the experiences that I was having in San Francisco, because I really was... um, living in a culture that is so liberal and um it's just um really like live and let live but honestly beyond that there is a lot of um a lot of what goes on in san francisco is um like uh, very unconventional relationships the hookup culture is there but so are people who are advocating for open relationships and polyamory that's really big in san francisco Um, especially um, amongst millennials and I think that's starting to be the case kind of everywhere which I very much warn against because um, you know I was dating people in San Francisco who were you know arguing that open relationships are the evolved way to do things and we have birth control now so monogamy is so outdated it's not sustainable all of these things and I learned very quickly just how bankrupt those arguments are Um, and and what really was also going on is I didn't feel safe with the men in San Francisco that I was dating. Um, the streets there are very unsafe. There are homeless people everywhere who are not stable, not well, who are on drugs. And, um, there's a lot of like literal danger in the streets of San Francisco.
0: And you have kind of an interesting story about that with the guy you were dating, right. When you were walking the streets of San Francisco.
1: Yeah. Like in the past, you know, and and I've men kind of, Thought, knew that it was chivalrous to actually walk um, closest to the street when they're walking with a woman, right? Um, and in San Francisco, guys don't do that because they, they have no um, they have no understanding of their duty towards women to be protectors, right? So there are these you're they're so removed
0: from it. it's in them, but it's they're just so removed. From yes, the they uh, removed from their femininity.
1: Yeah, exactly. So they think women don't want that. They think it's misogynistic, whatever. To have this sort of protective orientation towards women so um the streets there are very unsafe and then you're dealing with very weak men who are have been totally like um they've they've also eaten the feminist propaganda so they've no protective um they have the protective instinct that's not being expressed um so yeah i like would oh my gosh i would be walking down the street and there'd be like like people on drugs like swinging at me or like totally unstable freaking out screaming and like the guy i was with would just like hurry ahead of me you know, he he had no, like, understand, there, there was just nothing. Look about a, like, a desire killer. I, oh. I, I, <laughs> it's just so comical to even- Unbelievable. For me. Right, he just wanted to get himself out of danger and he's, oh, well, and I said something to him, oh, well, I thought that you'd like just follow me. And then one time we were at um, a music venue and there was a guy that kept coming up to me and just berating me, I don't know if he was drunk or something was wrong with this guy. Um, He kept coming up to me and like yelling at me and just insulting me. And I didn't know why he was targeting me. It was very confusing. And um, the guy that I was with just literally stood six feet away and watched. And my twin sister came up next to me and got in this guy's face and said, hey, leave her alone. What are you doing? So it was me and my sister, you know, trying to defend me. And my boyfriend at the time just stood and watched. And like just, just absolutely nothing. And it was through these experiences that made me realize that these sort of ideas that I had been told were archaic, of men being protective and 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 you know feeling a duty towards the physical safety of the women they're with, um, were not. Um, they were not archaic. Like I became so aware of my physical vulnerability in San Francisco that I am smaller and weaker than much of the rest of the population, and you'll be called sexist if you say this in today's society, but I am literally smaller and weaker physically than other people, and so it is reasonable to expect the man that I'm with to want to protect me and to be physically protective of me, right? Especially once you consider that women are, you know, somewhat incapacitated when they're pregnant or have an infant. That, um, thinking about childbirth also played a huge role in undoing my feminism
0: oh that's when it really that's when the light bulb goes off
1: that's yep especially with everyone everyone in san francisco they're so pro open relationships and it's like normal there no one will speak out against it and say you know what that's wrong actually no like i was talking to even older women who were like gen x in san francisco about open relationships and none of these older women cautioned me against it told me it was wrong. They all were like, oh yeah, you know, I think it can work, whatever, whatever you want, if it works for you. Instead of being like, no, you're going to want to have children one day and you don't want your partner sleeping with other people. You want to have paternity certainty. You want to know who the father of your child is. Um, you want him to be investing his resources and time in you and your family, not in other women and their family. Like it's just when it comes down to having children, it's so obvious why open relationships are just horrible. And there's emotional... And spiritual reasons why they're horrible as well before children come into the picture but oh my goodness it's a mess
0: when i think about your generation having the messages that they do from the culture combined with the previous generation or their own
1: parents supporting it that makes my blood boil yes the the guy that i was dating his parents uh knew that he advocated for open relationships and they didn't care they they never said anything to him they're oh, well, I mean. so 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 how can you expect anybody where's the average say
0: 30 year old who's getting this from everywhere their own parents mixed with the culture how on earth can you expect them to think any of um, any differently exactly, everywhere exactly. They live, so of course human nature is such that well i guess there's something wrong with me yes who thinks this
1: way so i guess i'll just join the ride Exactly and it really took and and that's exactly we're social beings we look to other people for our cues and what's appropriate to do and the right way to do things because you know we shouldn't be expected to have to figure out centuries of evolutionary and wisdom and societal wisdom that should be being passed on to us from older generations and instead for me I was just thrown into the shark tank no one could even explain why certain structures like monogamy and marriage were in place right and i thought well no one can explain it so it must not matter or maybe they're wrong and then i go to san francisco where everyone's arguing the opposite and they seem like okay with them I'm like okay this is just where society's going no it is bad it is wrong there are reasons that stuff is in place and when you came back to pennsylvania how what's it like where you are now
0: relative to what you were
1: what you're were- oh it's uh it's conservative it's more traditional um i think the you know the media is the negative influence here in this area but the way people live is implicitly conservative um if not explicitly um and you know people are married and monogamous and have children and it's well, good
0: i really think one thing i haven't i I've, I've, I've touched upon it, but I really feel like I need to do a whole episode on it. On it. But I think geography is, is, is a huge part of this conversation. So if uh, for example, I'm a big um, Dave Ramsey listener. So he has this podcast literally three hours a day, every day, just just crap tons of content. Uh, and I've got it down to a T where I just like forward and just, because all I want to do is hear the call-ins. So I you know, skip over all the promos and all the everything else. I just want these call-ins. So for one year, every day, I've been listening to hours worth of call-ins and it's not even though it's his all about getting people, um, y- you know, he's anti um, loans and, and getting people on track financially, but he ends up getting into the relationship space. They now has pers- uh, different personalities to address that on his program. So if you listen to this faithfully, so many of his, his callers are from the Midwest and the South, a lot from the South too. And it's like going into a completely different culture, listening to this every day because everything you just described out in San Fran is like non-existent among these folks who are calling and they're marrying young. They're trying to get their lives in order um, financially. They're doing every honestly, everything right. Mm -hmm. You know, they're just, I mean, not to, that's another conversation. That's too young is too young in my book, but Mm -hmm. essentially they're marrying earlier. They're getting out of debt. Um, They're having, getting married first, then the babies come, you know, like, it's just interesting to, to me, this is so, so, geographical so much of this. And not that it's not infiltrating into the Midwest and the South, but there's still a huge component of the way it used to be in those spaces. And um, which just goes to show you what we've got going on on the coasts,
1: right? Oh my gosh, exactly. they have the power. They have the power. California exports its culture through the media. Um, So I think a lot of this stuff I'm talking to you about, if I were to talk about it with people where I'm currently at geographically, Millennials have like heard about it and they would probably know what I'm talking about. Um, The older folks would be like, what? Like, and like, why would you ever even think that was okay? And like, what? I can't believe it. You know? Yes. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about the media. So, so I told people at the beginning about what you did. I love this um, site where you work um and it's it's i love it because it's first of all the name of it is all All sides all sides and
1: i took a look at it and it's got um the uh it says liberal what does it say it's got three yeah yeah, we have three different columns it says news from the left news from the center news from the right love love that i mean love and i don't know that anybody else is doing
0: that so that's really impressive
1: yeah, we're pretty unique in the space. We give media bias ratings, so we'll tell you if a media outlet has a left center or right perspective, just so it's transparent, so people yep. know what they're getting. Yep. So you can and we- the message when you get it, instead of just
0: absorbing it and moving on, and yeah. Um, okay, so, so in that same vein, let's talk about the media's influence, um, because you have another article that's titled Romantic Movies Lied to Us About Love, which I loved. And um, again, I have a whole chapter or part of a chapter in one of my books on this um that that essentially you know the messages that women are getting or that people are getting in the media which are coming at them everywhere because it's not like media in my day where you had to get up and change the channel and there were only five channels right it's it's not even comparable so it's literally coming at you from every angle um and they all have the same you know lefty messages but you honed in on this article about the idea of love being a feeling and that all you see in these um shows is that it's all about how these exciting basically they're they're shining a light on the infatuation period that pretty much everybody experiences and they're making it out to be that this is what it means to fall in love and that means you've you've found the person right that's it if you feel this way you've you've found the person um and I love your article here because you explain what the difference is between what you're seeing on the camera and what love and family really is. So you wanna expand on that a little bit?
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, basically I think that romantic movies kind of, they, they almost frame what I would maybe call lust as love. Yeah. Where yeah. yeah, where it's just like, maybe this person in, you know is all wrong for you. Like you have totally different cultural backgrounds or like, um, whatever it may be, one thing I see a lot in movies is the man hasn't actually done anything to like show that he'd be a good partner. She just like randomly, like, just it loves him, right? And and ha- or has all these like intense uh, feelings of, of excitement, and her palms are sweaty, and she can't talk when she's around him. and Oh my gosh, and that means that they're in love, right? Well, and not only in love,
0: but then you they start on this path of falling in love in the first day, and then by the end of the night, they go to bed together exactly it completely ruined it for me like where yep. is the, where's the time and the excitement yep. of, of keeping that at bay and then ending up down the road together it was right. the, the, the film i can't stand it. i used to fight with my daughter about that because she grew up seeing
1: that and i'm like yeah. this is not normal <laughs> yeah it's not right there's um there's no room for anything to develop right? right and um it also sell romantic movies sell you the idea that if you sleep with a guy early on he'll fall in love with you and i think that this is women actually projecting how they bond with someone so women release oxytocin when they have sex that's the bonding hormone right um men form their long-term pair bonds in a different way they actually need to not sleep with a woman early on and they need to release vasopressin which is their bonding hormone and they are they must release that over a long period of time and and not have an orgasm with a woman if he's going to see her as a wife and mother um Men are the way it was explained to me is that men are this is a built in um, protection mechanism for men because in our ancestral past, the only women who would sleep with men really early were already pregnant and the father wasn't stepping up. So they were trying to get another man to sleep with them quickly so that he would think he was the father and then she'd have a, a provider. So men are kind of hardwired not to see women who sleep with them early as wives and mothers. Um, and that, that goes down into biochemistry, right? But romantic movies are always showing, you know this spark, and then they sleep together quickly, and then it all works out. And in reality, and what I've seen, you know, in my life and in the lives of my friends, is that when you sleep with a man early, he might stick around for a little bit, um, but he definitely is not going to commit. Um, he just will not see a woman um, as someone he wants to commit to or marry. He who else she's done this with, for one thing. I mean, what that's was
0: my, that? I said he wonders who else she's doing this with. Exactly. Faithful down the line. If you don't have standards now, what, why did you probably didn't have them before? And you're not going to have them tomorrow.
1: Right, and it's subconscious for men, I think. Yeah. I think they're just like, yeah, I'll take what I can get, yeah. but like, yeah, I don't feel like she'd be someone I want to commit to. And they don't even, they're, they're not conscious about it at all. I don't even think women are conscious about it. I think, um, I think women think that this is what, well, the other thing that plays into this is that women are in an environment where other women are providing sex so they yes. think he'll leave I'll me go somewhere else if i don't i've heard yep. that's
0: just a, a crap time exactly um and my and, argument has always been the same you're just going to stand out that much more and be that now i mean it's true that it's true that unlike 50 years ago when that wasn't the case there will be more men that can run but that means they're not ready for a relationship anyway so you're really just weeding out The bad ones and saving yourself a lot of time
1: in my opinion. Oh, absolutely. I think once you start to place those constraints around and have sexual boundaries and say no, um, you actually, women can actually filter better for men who would make good long-term partners. Um, It cuts out so much crap. It cuts out the Peter Pans, it cuts out the hedonists, it cuts out the men who are not men of God, it cuts out lots of crap. So, um, it's a great filtering mechanism for women to just say no, I'm not, I'm not having sex early on or until we're married or whatever it it absolutely helps and those men do exist they're few and far between unfortunately but um there there are men out there who respect that and agree um and actually see some of the problems with modern day men and masculinity so when they can filter for them
0: and so in that piece she wrote about how opposites don't necessarily attract i think that was an important point because you're right you know you these, these, these romantic films don't get into the boring stuff like beliefs, values, culture, politics, religion. These, I mean, those, are great, those don't make for great uh, uh, film, right? So, so they don't even touch upon that. Um, but you, you wrote in here um, that two people need to be aligned on most of the big things for a relationship to work. You don't wanna have wildly different opinions on what religion you should practice or where you should live, or whether you should live a bohemian lifestyle or a more rooted one. In all likelihood, opposite values and cultures mean it just isn't going to work.
1: Right.
0: So I can speak for that personally. That's what happened with my first husband and why things didn't work out. Um, there's just no question that values and priorities and how you want to live your daily life, including where, including where? Geography, and are you gonna be a simple, you know, are, you, are you, do you like a simple life or do you need to be moving all the time and traveling? And you know, this, this is a, just a huge thing.
1: Um, that didn't work, so I can I can speak to that. Um, yeah, I can speak to that too. My I dated someone in my mid twenties, and we d- very much disagreed on that on where to live. Disagree. Um, disagreed. Disagreed on where to live. Yeah. Um, Disagree on the type of lifestyle we wanted. I wanted to live at, raise kids in a small town. You wanted to live yeah. in cities, right? Yep. That that yep. he wanted to focus on career. I wanted yep. to have Same. kids. Same. Yep. So that all didn't work out. And then um, my I was actually engaged um, recently and my engagement ended because we disagreed on religion. We ended up, we were both Christians, but then we ended up disagreeing on the denomination and he wasn't willing to compromise and I didn't really want to compromise, and then that ended. So, where, where are you going to go to church on Sunday, right? If that's if you're yeah. religious. Um, so these things really matter, and um, it's big, big stuff, and politics too. Like I, the other problem I had with someone I dated in my mid twenties is he was much more liberal than me, and I through dating him realized I'm more conservative. And um, I was not certain that he would like make sure not to take our kids to drag queen story hour or something, right? Yeah. Like, oh yeah, and I, But you even have to think about that. As yeah. Yeah. He didn't yeah. have the boundaries of political politically. We weren't agreeing yeah. at all over time. And I was like, okay, I, that's not going to work. And I mean, where do regular, and I see, I don't even like using the word conservative for the
0: same word because we were so off the deep end. Yeah. That any quote unquote common sense, normal thinking is labeled conservative when actually no, it's just normal. It's yes. just normal common sense. Oh, the- I agree. Um, And, and how do those people in the millennial generation find each other amidst all that crap?
1: Oh, it's it's like looking for a needle in a haystack now. Um, Do you think so
0: many of those people are just saying what they think people want? You know what they're supposed to say, or do they
1: really are into that and (sighs) that? I think it's both. I think a lot of people are genuinely very much, they've been totally um, subverted Great. is the word that I would use. Yeah. They've been subverted. The culture has subverted them. Um, what they think relationships should look like, what they think culture should look like, what they think is okay for men, women, and children. Um, they've been subverted. And if you you know, disagree, they think you're a nut job when you're just like you said, like normal, <laughs> with normal <laughs> values. Um, but then I also think there are people out there who are weak and like suspect things are off but they're afraid to say anything and, and then you don't want them anyway
0: it. because you don't want someone who's going to be so easily uh, swayed exactly yeah so oh.
1: mm-hmm. yep yep
0: okay and you also talk about how, ma- how masculine men are like real grown when you say masculine men you mean grown man a boy who's moved into man mode right yep. are self-sacrificial mm. know what do you mean by that
1: So one of the things I learned living in San Francisco with the men who wanted to be in open relationships, or thought that that was a good thing, is that they didn't want to sacrifice numerous things. One was other women. They didn't want to sacrifice other women to be with one woman. Um, The other thing is um, men who are mature masculine men. um, There's a lot of things that they have to sacrifice in order to have a committed monogamous relationship that lends itself to family life they might have to sacrifice um like you said geography like being able to be transient and move to the next cool city or travel yep. all the time they yep. might have to sacrifice um some of their resources i i've dated men who didn't want to part with their money like to they wanted the wife to support herself and um things like that that's um podcast episode that's such a mess I- yep so um that was yeah another big thing in my life was will he Part with some of his resources to support a woman in pregnancy and childbirth um, will he sacrifice other women? will he sacrifice um, some of his time like um to commit to one woman? Um, you only dated obviously. your age
0: by any chance have you, what, what was that I was just curious if you've dated anyone like maybe ten years older and had a no date? no i'm wondering no. that i I kind of feel like it's like that's the way that people have to go at this point because you have a better chance maybe of their not having fallen victim to all this stuff
1: yeah i've mostly dated men who are like three to four years older than me well that's um and they're span, but... yeah but like a lot i think it's true a lot <laughs> of older men have like figured this stuff out and they're a little more serious about like having a lineage like they're thinking like longer term right what am i going to leave behind when i die what am i going to like leave on this earth right what's my legacy going to be whereas young men are just like they're all short-term thinking, it's all about getting their material resources and and accumulating experiences. I think that's a big lie that our generation has also been fed, is that life is all about accumulating new experiences. So that all- You're, not, you're transient,
0: you're never settling down, right? Yep. yep, you're transient.
1: And it's a lie also that being unsettled and unmarried is what translates to new experiences. Yes. Having so. children is a new experience. Um, being in a committed relationship, what, there's so many things you could do with one person and they have deep inner worlds that you, you're, you a deep inner world that you're delving into over time. And um, it, it's a lie that in order to have new experiences, you need to be, you know, single and transient. you not, not gonna
0: grow when you're by yourself.
1: Um, that's another big lie that your
0: generation believes is that you find yourself and then you get married. Whoops. That's not right. Um, it just doesn't work that way. I mean, you're always changing. And every decade, uh, you're, you're going to not recognize who you were in the decade before. <laughs> and totally, and marriage, nothing is going to make you find yourself more than being married, because you have to literally look in the mirror every single day and deal with yourself and how you're going to work with these other people in your household. When you're single, you don't have to do that. If you don't ever want to look in the mirror when you're single, hey, you don't have to do it, yeah. no of you, right? So you just live day to day. It is the least. Um, it is it is the, it is the
1: lifestyle that is the least transformative in
0: terms of becoming a better person.
1: Right, yeah, relationships are mirrors. So yeah, you're you're constantly called to self-reflect and.
0: So you and- wrote another article that's kind of in the same vein, uh, referring to meaning over money. What I'm calling meaning over money, referring to the career, the idea that you can find your meaning in life through your career, which of course is really a message geared toward women sort of done along the same ideas of having a lot of experiences and growing and becoming yourself it's kind of on the same idea in that the values are just so screwed up and they're so manifestly wrong so wrong and it takes these people 10 years before they figure it out and that's by the way when they're calling me for coaching because their lives are kind of a mess well not kind of a really big mess because they fed into all this stuff and they believe these lies That's what I don't, that's what's so painful for me to see. You know, it just doesn't need to be this way. And the only reason this is happening is because they're fed this crap, such as, as you put in this article, uh, where you wrote, many of us, uh, let's see, women who were smart, beautiful and ambitious were meant to study hard, go to university and eventually wind up in a high power professional role. Anything less was an injustice against us. Many of us followed that path only to discover the corporate life isn't all it's cracked up to be. Having a job often means long hours at at a desk, a stressful commute, menial tasks, a lack of control and creativity. In short, the absence of a sense of meaning, not the presence of it. And funny enough, I literally just had a conversation at a graduation party yesterday with um, a friend of ours whose son is also graduating from high school, and who has an older son in college. I mean, sorry, working out. He's in New York City now working. And he's, he's, it's, he's been doing it, I think just a year and a half maybe, and he's bored, right? And his dad, oh. had to have our friend, had to have a conversation with him like, guess what? Work is just work, you know, how exciting a career starts off eventually, and that's pretty quickly in, about a year and a half, but at some point, it's just going to be a job like anything else. It's work. Most of it is work. Very little of it is this um, satisfying, exciting, change the world experience, and you write about that in this article.
1: Right, I think for the average, I think there are outliers for Mm -hmm. whom, you know, they they do... i'll I'll start with saying this jordan peterson really woke me up to this because he said most people have jobs not careers and i think that is true the average person has a job not a career and a job is something that you literally have to pay somebody to do because it's not fun and and like uplifting and enlivening that's why you have to pay somebody to do it um it's a job so um and granted like i said i think there are some outliers some people that are really creative and um yep. have exciting yeah but careers.
0: generally the trade-offs that they've had to get that the, those careers you're talking about is huge and nobody exactly
1: else. yeah so they might have them but they paid a price for it exactly exactly so um yes and you even see this with successful men but like they don't have children or whatever um and women too um because they focus on their career but the message we're giving to everyone everyone is that they are going to find their meaning in their career and um it's it's just such a lie. Um, the things that make life meaningful are really the things that I think people, modern people, gloss over as being trivial and simple, right? It's mm-hmm. it's you know um, you know meeting your neighbor, going to church, um, uh, having lunch with a friend, having lunch with a friend, making your sister a cup of tea when she's sad, or like um, you know supporting people in your neighborhood. Um, going for a walk in the woods. Um, You know, like these these little things that honestly are better when they're shared um, with other people that you have good relationships with. Um, But I think meaning in life really comes through communion with other people. And um, when you are expecting a career to provide that type of meaning, one thing you're also going to realize is that the types of connections you make in the, in the, um, career the workforce Mm -hmm. yeah and that space are um they're transactional it's um it's about money it's about getting things done I help you you help me and um it doesn't have that depth and intimacy that a say marriage relationship or a friendship or a family has yeah so it's just a lie and um and You know, I, I, women are really fed this. Oh my goodness. Young women are fed this, this idea that it it, it all comes back to sexual liberation too. Well, I need the birth control pill and I need abortion access because I, what about my career? Yeah, Right. And it's like, what do you think you're going to do? Like it's, it's, it's good to have a, a simple life with things that your grandparents had for generations, children and a husband and neighbors and a community. And like, you can be happy that way, you know.
0: So, Julie, I- I'm going to leave it there because I love that. I love the way you just, you just, you just phrased that. And I'll, I'll close it by reading something that you wrote um, at the end of that particular article. Women can derive meaning from focusing on tasks that connect to our, inha- to our innate feminine nature. Our nurturance, empathy, intuition, compassion, and eye for beauty lends themselves to myriad endeavors that will fall outside the corporate realm yet give our lives lots of meaning. And, you know, it's very taboo to say, you know, I'm somebody who has had both a career, right? And I have two children, two amazing kids who are about to be an empty nester. Um, And people, people might be surprised to hear that, you know, it's actually fun to change diapers. <laughs> it's actually fun to clean my kitchen. Oh, fun might be the wrong word, but it's actually um, satisfying if that's the word I'm looking for. Yes, immensely satisfying to take care of my home, to keep it clean, to bake for my family or cook or whatever, and to take care of those babies when I did, when they were little, which I did. Um, there's, I, I like, nothing that I've ever done. I mean, all of it pales in comparison to those things. And until you actually do them and have permission to do them and actually try it out, will you ever understand that? And that's what pains me so much for for the messages that your generation gets.
1: Right. Yeah. My uh, my friends at church just had a baby, and we just we just love gathering around the baby. And oh my gosh, she's so cute! And oh, look look what she's looking at now. And it's like little things, little normal human things that are what life is about. It it doesn't have to be this big grandiose, traveling to 30 different countries, sleeping with lots of different people. It's not that. It's not that. It's the simple, everyday things that give our lives meaning. And, and you'll end up running and running and running and probably coming back to conclude that much later down the line. And that, then it's going to be too late. Yep, exactly. Yep.
0: That's a good place to end it, Julie. I really appreciate your coming back and talking, talking to us. And tell everybody how they can find you.
1: Um, yeah, so um, I am... On Evie Magazine, I write for Evie. You can just Google my name and find me there. Um, I'm also on Twitter uh, at Julie writes, Julie Wrights, uh, meaning. Uh, That's the handle. Oh, yeah, yeah, Julie Writes. Yep. <laughs> okay,
0: awesome. Thanks, Julie. Um, Thank you. Yeah, keep up the good work. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Talk to you soon. Bye bye. And that ends this hour of the Suzanne Venker Show. Don't forget to continue the conversation on Facebook by typing in the Facebook search bar, the Suzanne Venker Show. Also, please recommend this podcast to one friend you think would enjoy it and don't forget to leave us a review on whatever platform you're now using. Finally, if you have a question or comment for me, you can email me at Suzanne at the com. Thanks for listening, everyone. Have a great week.